are you drawing? A liger. What's a liger? It's pretty much my favorite animal. It's like a lion and a tiger mixed. Redford's skills and magic. So, I don't know about skills and magic, but did you know that ligers are real? And there are a lot of other examples of hybrids occurring in the world around us, from as small as coral reef species to animals as big as whales. I, I don't think that we're seeing anything different in terms of the process of hybridization itself. Um, but what is different uh, now is, is the role that rapidly changing environments uh, are playing in promoting some hybridizations. Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. I'm Malia. I'm Anna. And I'm Melissa, and we're all veterinary students at Colorado State University. Today on VetCast, we're talking with Dr. Kelly about species hybridization. Dr. Kelly is the executive director of the Study of Environmental Arctic Change and professor of marine biology at the University of Alaska. He has worked with indigenous organizations in Alaska, the National Science Foundation, and with Obama's White House. Welcome, Dr. Kelly. Thank you. Good to be here. Before we start talking about hybridization, it's probably good to start with the basics. So Dr. Kelly, what is a species? A commonly accepted definition is what's called the biological species definition. And it imagines that there are interbreeding populations of an animal or a plant that are unable to breed with other interbreeding populations. And when you have two different interbreeding populations that don't interbreed with one another, the, then those are considered a species according to the biological species definition. But it turns out that so many things in nature, uh, it's much messier than that. Uh, and that definition doesn't hold up for many, many examples. Uh, there are examples of what in every respect seems to be a uh, different species, but then you find out that they're able to interbreed you know it's a kind of little known dark secret of biology that here's this fundamental unit of the science and we, we can't even define it uh, very well so if we can't really define a species then what is a hybrid well in biology a hybrid occurs when two species that don't normally mate produce offspring together and what got me interested in learning more about marine hybrids is this paper that just came out recently about whale hybridization the researchers in this paper discuss how people have known that the two largest species of whales, fin whales and blue whales, have been hybridizing for a while now. People in whaling communities or whale research have just kind of figured that these hybrids are hybrids based on their appearance, but have also assumed that they were reproductively dead ends. So this team of researchers in Iceland decided they were going to look into the genetics. That makes me curious about what hybrids we've missed, because maybe they didn't actually look different before genetic technology became available, like how would we know? 
Yeah, it's crazy to think about. These researchers were able to use samples ranging all the way back from 1986 um, up until 2018 to identify that these hybrids have been occurring. And what's even more wild is that there's actually genetic evidence of second generation hybridization, meaning that these blue whale, fin whale hybrids can produce viable young. So hasn't that been happening like forever, even with evolution? So evolution is, in, in its strict definition, is the change in frequencies of genes from one generation to another. Okay, that's evolution. So those, that change could be deleterious in terms of the survival of the new generation, or it could be beneficial. Um, and the sources of you know, change in gene frequencies are natural selection, mutation, or hybridization, right? This is another way of changing the frequencies of genes in subsequent generations. Um, and again, it just depends, are, are the, is the new combination, the new gene combinations fitting the current environment or not? It's these abrupt changes in environmental barriers that are being lost as the habitats change that's making the opportunity for hybridizations much greater. So it sounds like the rapid changing of environmental barriers, like those we're facing currently from climate change, are playing a role in the new hybrids we're seeing. Are these hybrids better suited for our changing planet? When you say species is fit, it has to be fit to a specific habitat. Um, There's no magical combination of genes that are better than others. It's how those genes match the environment they're in. Another important sort of lesson here in evolutionary biology is that uh, we say that organisms are adapted to past environments. In other words, their genes that have been selected over evolutionary time were the genes of your ancestors. And in an environment that is fairly stable, they should get more and more attuned to that environment. But when the habitats or environments change abruptly, then all of a sudden you're carrying, you know, your grandparents' genes, which might have been great in the habitat they lived in. But if you're living in a very different habitat, it's a good chance that they won't be as well. So fit is relative to the habitat, right? So how do we know if these genes from hybrids are making them fit? They, they don't do well there, particularly if the offspring are not fertile. It's clearly a dead end. There will be no passing on of the genes. That's a really interesting point because I read a paper recently about sea turtle hybridizations that did have lower reproductive rates. Oh, really? Yeah, so there are two different species of sea turtles, um, loggerheads and hawksbills, that have started interbreeding off the coast of Brazil, and they found that their hybrid offspring actually were fertile but had lower reproductive success rates than the parent species. Um, so basically the loggerheads and the hawksbills recently started hybridizing, probably because declining sea turtle populations has made it really difficult for them to find mates. And so they're producing these hybrid offspring, but then when those hybrids mate and lay eggs, fewer of their eggs are hatching. The researchers said that this is likely because a high number of the hybrid offspring just have incompatible gene rearrangements and combinations because the genes from each parent species didn't co-adapt over time together in one species. So whatever hybrid combination of genes they ended up with just wasn't viable. 
The concern is that if the turtles continue hybridizing, then the populations of pure hawksbills and pure loggerheads will decrease even further, and that these new hybrids won't have the reproductive ability to sustain their own population. Oh, okay, I see. So we could lose all three turtle populations, the parents and the hybrids. Exactly. And that makes me wonder if this phenomenon is any different in the ocean with these marine species than it is with terrestrial ones. The continuity of environments uh, changes much more slowly in the marine environment than it does in terrestrial environments. Uh, and so you don't as readily come up with geographic barriers, for example. Um, you can imagine the species that can't pass over a mountain and there's two forms on either side of the mountain, but they can't exchange genes across the mountain or across large bodies of water would be another example. Um, but the, um, in, the, in the ocean, you tend to have a more uniform environment. So species can uh, exchange genes over much greater distances. So I, I think that's probably the biggest difference between hybridization and marine and terrestrial environments. How are these hybrids affecting their parent species that are already being threatened by climate change? So what we see in this phenomenon of hybrid vigor is it's often followed by what we call outbreeding depression. What happens in outbreeding depression is that while an initial first hybrid generation may be quite fit to fit well with its environment, um, that begins to break down in subsequent generations really by sort of two mechanisms. One is you'll get these uh, offspring that have genotypes that are intermediate between the parental populations, that makes sense. Um, but it may be that that intermediate form doesn't fit either environment of, of either parent species. So if we're losing these endangered species and the hybrids faster than they can adapt to the new environment, what are the consequences of this? One value uh, you may or may not share uh, with me is, is favoring biodiversity, right? So having uh, diverse species and ecosystems, we tend to uh, think is a good thing, but you know, there are certainly habitats in which there are uh, very few species. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's, you, you have to kind of decide for yourself. Um, but the other thing that people sort of bring up is, is well, okay, so if, if, if a species is headed towards extinction, are you somehow rescuing its genes by having it hybridize and sort of park, if you will, those genes in another species? And so it's more a question of to what degree are hybridizations contributing to this sixth mass extinction that we're, we're in right now. So sort of a level of, you know, you, I, 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 I hesitate to encourage people to focus on trying to save a specific uh, species. That's important work, but you also want to put it in the, the, the bigger context. So what can we do about it? I, I think it's important to, um, you know, ask questions, read, listen to good podcasts that where, where you have the opportunity to sort of understand um, in, in something more than a superficial way, what does it mean for extin extinctions to happen? What does it mean to have hybridizations to happen? It's, it's easy to have 
a very shallow understanding and no one it does not that everyone needs to have an expert understanding but somewhere in between there if you're going to contribute to policy discussions if you're going to through voting or whatever process um, you're, you're going to be able to do so in a more sophisticated way if, if you have less than a shallow understanding of a topic uh, that might affect conservation like hybridization potentially does. Uh, the other thing I would just have to say, though, is, is that, um, you know, we should not accept that we are the cause of the sixth major extinction on the planet. We, we should not be okay with that. In other words, you know, we've had extinctions as a result of meteors hitting the planet uh, and changing the climate overnight. Uh, mass extinction ensued. Not much we could have done about that, right? But this mass extinction isn't due to an external force. This is us doing this. We are causing this climate change. Um, and one of the many consequences uh, is mass extinction. And that uh, can't play well for ecosystems. It can't play well for humanity in the end for us to lose that much biodiversity. So we should not be okay with that. And as fast as these hybrid species are arising, the laws around endangered species aren't adapting with them. I found a paper published in the Communications Biology Journal that was just published this past July that explains how there are hybrids of coral reef species that have been shown to be as fit or even more fit than their parental species. And the hybrid population is growing at an ex exponential rate compared to their parental lineages, who frankly are being pressured to the point of extinction. So while the parental species are legally protected under litigation from EPA, along with multiple state and federal protection initiatives, I think this really shows their primary essential role in maintaining a healthy and successful ocean ecosystem. So protecting new hybrid species represents quite a legal challenge. The lack of recognition of these hybrids as a species could be lost opportunity to protect these entities that can maintain these vital ecosystems. It's been shown that as the parental species go extinct, it is the resistance of the fit hybrids that maintain the essential role of coral. If you're interested in learning more about hybridization and climate change, you can reference the papers we discussed in the podcast footnote. If you're interested in Dr. Kelly's research, you can follow his work at searcharcticscience.org. Or find out how you can make a daily impact by checking out CSU Shaping a Sustainable Future at sustainability.colostate.edu. There's a zillion different ways people can contribute uh, to that um, at a personal level, at a political level, at a you know, family level. And everybody should have a voice in this discussion. What do we do about this? What do we change? How quickly do we change it? And I would just urge that people bring their talents to that. You know, it might be in your writing, it might be in your voting, it might be in your discussions with your neighbors, it might be in a podcast, who knows, but, but you should, you know, be a force for um, promoting informed discussion. Well, we certainly appreciate it and your time today. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for talking to us. So here we are, starting the conversation for you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. 
To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.